This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board rolled out a major update for the Thrift Savings Plan on June 1st. It includes a new interface for the online My Account website, a mobile app, and new investment options for mutual funds. But some TSP participants are expressing their frustrations with technical issues, bugs in the system, and much more. Here with some of the details is Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Hi, Drew. Hey, Jared. How are you? What are people tending to see when they try to log in and set up their accounts in this updated system? As part of the update, the board launched a new interface for the My Account website that hosts all of TSP participants' account information. So that's things like investments, beneficiaries, loans, personal data, and a lot more. And to get set up in the new My Account system, every TSP participant has to complete a one-time setup process to log in for the first time. And that's where we're seeing the issues start. So many are having problems just setting up an account in the first place. We had a lot of people write in to us uh, saying that they couldn't log in at all. And many participants were also expressing their frustrations on Twitter, Reddit, and a lot of other online platforms that they just can't get access to their retirement accounts. There's also some internet browser issues. So many are experiencing failure to load web pages with Safari and Google Chrome. Many are saying that Microsoft Edge is the one that's working best right now. And I spoke with Kim Weaver, who is the Director of External Affairs at the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board. And she said there's two ways that participants should be able to access their accounts. One is the one that most most people are using that's the online setup participants can go through steps to verify their online identity and get immediate access to their account and that's an improvement she said because they used to have to wait for a pin to be mailed to them to be able to log in but that option is still available and we're seeing about three percent of participants using the pin by mail option so um, but some who requested the that mailed pin were told it would take weeks to come. So that's another big point of frustration. And Weaver did say that beginning this past Tuesday, June 7th, participants who elect to have a one-time passcode mailed to them but later change their mind are able to return to the website to attempt the online account setup process again. Uh, and about 86% of participants who are attempting to set up their new account use the online process. She added that the new system is necessary to enhance security and privacy for all participants, and they're working to resolve some of these common problems that they're seeing. And do we know yet, Drew, if folks who have opted for the old-fashioned pin-by-mail route are having any better luck setting themselves up on the new website, or is it too early to tell? It seems too early to tell. The participants that I have heard from haven't received that pin in the mail yet, and so we're, we're waiting to see if what the success levels will be with that. And unsurprisingly, with all these problems, customer service by phone at the board is uh, is in bad shape right now. There's really long hold times. Um, how, how bad is it and what are they doing to fix it? The board for TSP did say they were aware of the issue. This is something they were expecting before the rollout at their last or at their most recent board meeting before the rollout occurred. They were talking about ways that they were trying to prep for that. Kim Weaver did say that um, Thriftline service representatives were available for those who need help. But with the call volumes very high, it's causing a lot of participants to express frustrations. When I spoke with Weaver, she told me that it is actually a record high for the agency. On the first day that the rollout started, 
they received 120,000 phone calls just on June 1st, which is 2.5 times the record of their previous high call volume. And since then, a lot of others have called in as well. I've heard from a lot of readers and listeners and just seen online that people are being put on hold for many hours at a time, ranging from two hours on hold up to six or even more hours waiting on the phone, trying to talk to someone. And even when they talk to representatives, some told me that they're told that the board is aware of the problems, working to fix them, to have patience. And that's kind of the same message that Weaver was telling me. She's she's trying to work through some of these issues and they're working through it as quickly as they can. And, and just to be clear, are the problems really around the account setup process? I mean, for the people who have successfully managed to navigate that gauntlet, what are, what are folks seeing after they actually log in? It seems that the login process is really just the beginning of the issues that a lot of people said they're seeing. Many, once they log in, whether they were able to log in easily or had a couple of issues getting there, once in the system, more problems are coming in. That's including some bugs. For example, the system won't recognize existing personal information. A lot of the pages will freeze up. It changes the required inputs for different pieces of information and a lot of, um, sorry, and a couple people also told me that they were struggling to add a beneficiary to their account, even though they had had one previously. One of the most common problems that I was hearing from, um, from TSP participants was that they can't access their financial information prior to the update on June 1st. So anything on May 31st or earlier is currently inaccessible for some of these users. Uh, so that's uh, that was a common complaint that I saw. And it, just in one instance, a participant reached out to me to share that they had a time-sensitive problem. They're trying to take out a TSP loan for a down payment on a new house, but because of dropped calls, database errors, and otherwise limited access to that information, they're struggling to get their loan processed. And just want to point out to our listeners that in addition to the uh, the TSP participants that Drew has been hearing from directly, we're also trying to gather a bigger sample of the experiences folks are having with an online survey that we're running at federalnewsnetwork.com right now. That's going to be open through Friday. But Drew, you're already starting to see some results from that survey. How, how do things look based on those preliminary findings? That's right. We've had some very strong responses so far. We, In one question, we asked people to rank on a scale of one to five, with five being the best, their experience with trying to call customer service. And the vast majority of people are giving the, giving the service a one out of five. We're seeing also pretty strong rates of people experiencing issues within the new interface, many not able to access their full financial history. That seems to be, as I said, the most common problem. And we're also seeing that about half of people who tried to set up an account still not being able to get in yet. Uh, as you know, these are pre- preliminary results of the survey. We're also seeing in a, f- a free answer that people are saying that the format is not intuitive and there's too many layers to it. So beyond the technical issues, people are expressing frustrations with the actual interface itself. Some comments did say that people were able to get in okay, but it's there is quite a range there. All right. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman, thanks for bringing us up to speed. Thanks, Jared. And once again, if you are a TSP participant, we want to know what your experience has been with the new update and the new website. And you can find that survey at federalnewsnetwork.com.
Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader and what about them inspired you? You I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League Baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had a wad of tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, uh, whether you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment. And, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was, I think, my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do, at, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and, and how's that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, 
I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than than so much on the results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards, two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and, and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a Social Security Administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the Social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office, and lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense, and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of the Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi historical to current, uh, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, I'm not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffel Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on. And you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at Grifflesplasma.com. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.